You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. A'uzu billahi minash shaitan rajeem. Bismillahir rahmanir rahim. In the name of Allah the gracious, the merciful. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. May peace and blessings of God be upon you all. Welcome to the two hours of drive, drive Time Show again here at Voice of Islam. You're joined by myself, Rahul Ahmed, and my brother, Fahim Nasir, on the other side. <laughs> how are you doing? You all right? Good, how are you? Alhamdulillah, all well, all yeah. well. <clears throat> um, I mean, we were discussing before, you know, starting the program, actually, uh, during the news, that how the two topics that we have today are quite serious, serious right? <laughs> isn't yeah. it? Um, I mean, but important, <clears throat> right? Very, of course, yes, relevant as well. Um, in the first hour, we'll be discussing climate action. Uh, time is running out. We'll be look, looking at devastating, you know, global catastrophes and, and, of course, crisis in the world right now. Uh, and in the second hour, uh, we'll be discussing nuclear uh, apocalypse. Uh, we'll be speaking about, um, you know, the threat of a global war, global third war, a third world war, and its catastrophic consequences, uh, you know, on 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 humanity as a whole. Um, I mean, let's start with the first hour. I mean, let's get straight back into it. I mean, you know, we're talking of talking about, you know, devastating global, you know, catastrophes we're seeing around the world, whether it's Pakistan or, hmm. um, you know, any other parts of the world. What do you have to say? What do you think? It's uh, I'm, I'm asking this straight question. Do you think it's it's a hoax or it's just it's uh, climate change is actually real? Well, I think personal opinion. Personal, like especially with what's going on in Pakistan right now, mm-hmm. like I, I don't think you can deny it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that um, it's it's very apparent from just the changes in weather, the mm-hmm. impact it's and, and the amount of research there is out there. You mm-hmm. know, I think that um, yeah. anybody with the ra- the access to right and correct information should know that climate change is a thing now. Absolutely. What about you? Absolutely. I mean, if you think about the amount of emphasis that's that that's been put on, um, you know, believing in the expert advice with regards to COVID, mm. right? When it comes to climate change, why don't we do the same? Mm. We've got to ask these questions to, to these politicians and, you know, these individuals that say, no, it's, it's, it's nothing. It's just, you know, uh, things being made up, right? When, when it yeah. came to COVID, you know, you've got data back, you know, uh, all of this data that's coming in, experts saying certain things, scientists are saying, we've got to believe them. They've been warning for 60 years. Yeah, no. but, but I'm saying as, as long as um, it's not as... It's not in the interest, uh, you know. It's it's a hoax, and you know mm. uh, um, they're not going to take take actions. Or they they're, they're going to do various, um, you know, get-togethers and you know, uh, you know, gatherings where they speak on these issues and and pledge, uh, you know, on, pledge on doing, you know, making changes around the world. But nothing really happens. Nothing really, um, you know, uh, no action. Let's let's say. I mean, for over 60 years, as you said, scientists have been warning about the climate crisis. And we're starting to see the effects of it more and more every single day. 
you know, especially in news headlines, the, the, the head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, our beloved uh, Huzur, the, the current caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, may Allah be hope, also warned us of this, you know, for years. In Let's say in 2012, um, he stated, today natural disasters are prevalent and there is destruction all round. Storms, hurricanes are occurring in the U.S. at a greater frequency than before. The economic crisis is worsening. Various inhabitations of the world are at a risk of being submerged by water due to global warming. This was in uh, this was uh, Friday, seven on the twenty-first of September, twenty twelve. I mean, let's briefly summarize what the purpose of the show is. Yeah. Why are we discussing cli- climate change today? Well, you know, naturally, it's a very important subject. It's very relevant right now. But you know, I think what we're going to try and do during this show um, for our listeners today is highlight recent in events and catastrophes in the world you know that can actually be attributed to climate change and we want to talk about the controversy that actually revolves around whether climate change is even real and you know you started off the show talking about it um we obviously as always we're going to touch on the relevant islamic teachings and i would hope to end on you know explaining to our listeners on how we can actually help combat climate change um, and throughout the show we're actually very uh, lucky to have quite a few experts joining us today mm, to absolutely. discuss this yes. um, so I think yeah we can kick things off by discussing some more recent events in the world right absolutely um you know we begin with the heat waves I mean in in, in just ju- July uh, you know those who've been living here in the United Kingdom would would witness to this and would confirm that you know the United Kingdom surpassed its highest ever recorded temperature, reaching f- you know forty point two degrees Celsius, yeah, which it was is a hot, right? <laughs> it was, it was, one hundred four degrees Fahrenheit, and in fact, all over Europe, it it was nice. Let's be let's be very honest. Not 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 not, not just the heat wave because we're we're used to the cold. You clearly had AC, didn't you? <laughs> no, I didn't have it. <laughs> Probably in the office. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean to be to be you know serious here. Hmm. Um, the changes that we're seeing uh, are unprecedented. Um, you know, according to the Portuguese Health Ministry, an estimated of 1,063 people died as a result of a heat wave this year, between July 7 and 18th. And because most people's homes were not built to handle these unprecedented, record-breaking temperatures, uh, you know, this these tragedies, you know, have occurred. And you know, we we also you know have uh, you know wildfires. You know, the, you know the, the you know, the, the combination of you know dry conditions and high temperatures basically have caused thousands of acres of land to burn up, up across Spain, Portugal, and France. And then there are also you know fires in Canada, such as over you know in British Columbia. Uh, you know, a local paper, uh, the Edmonton Journal, uh, reported that extreme conditions like uh, lower humidity and higher temperatures are driving extreme wild wildfires and make these wildfires more likely to happen. And, you know, this has caused Canada to see some of its worst fire seasons within uh, recent years. Yeah, and, you know, there are also big fires on, on the West Coast in the United States as well. And, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't even exhausted the list of countries yet. You know, in yeah. short, essentially, these, these fires are truly a global problem. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like, you know, we're just talking about the fires here, but this isn't—we haven't even mentioned the flooding around the world. You mm-hmm. know, in places such as in Australia, Western Europe, India, and China, mm-hmm. and 
as I'm sure our listeners have heard, in case they haven't, uh, very recently in Pakistan has been experiencing floods that have killed more than a thousand people. Um, and research shows that these catastrophic floods are becoming more likely specifically because of global warming. Mm-hmm. Now, Pakistan, I mean, uh, where um, I'm from Pakistan, your, you, you, you know, your, your background is also from Pakistan. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, it hurts to see a country, one third of a country, you know, underwater, a country yeah. that's already, you know, um, poor. Let's, let's be very honest. It's not, um, you know, the, the leaders are not, you know, sincere to their, 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 their people. Um, you know, talking about Pakistan, it said that Pakistan has uh, 7,253, the most, you know, glaciers outside of the Arctic uh, polar region. Yeah. And they're, they're reportedly all melting very fast. Um, and Pakistan doesn't have these big dams to, you know, take care or store that water. And that's also the negligence on the side of their leaders. And, um, the, and their contribution to like the global warming problem is, is, is negligible as well compared to others. And less than one percent, they yeah. say, right? Um, and it's among the top ten countries that are most affected by uh, climate change. And and there there are people out there, you know, if, if you go on Twitter, that are speaking about this, you know, um, that 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 Pakistan really really needs help. And these big corporations and these big uh, you know leaders, you know, big countries have to. You know, come to a solution and not just make pledges, but but actually, you know, take action. Um, I mean, we've we would like to, uh, you know, go on to. We would like to welcome actually our first guest uh, on the line and get you know an, an expert advice on the subject that we we are discussing. Of course, we have on the line <coughs> Jim Candy, who is a retired meteorologist. You know, throughout his forty-five year broadcasting career. He was the chief meteorologist of WLTX TV for nearly two decades and even interviewed former U.S. President Barack Obama about climate change. Jim was honored by the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences with the Silver Circle Award, recognizing his lifetime of dedication to the television industry. In 2019, Mayor Steve Benjamin presented him with the key to the city of Columbia, South Carolina. He also received the state of South Carolina's highest civilian honor. In his retirement, Jim Gandhi remains active in climate science. With this short introduction, Jim, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the Drive Time Show. And it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, how, I mean, let's get straight into the questions because very recently we know what's uh, the flood that has occurred in Pakistan. I mean, how is the flood, uh, you know, flooding in Pakistan actually related to climate change if we're speaking to people who mainly call it a you know, hoax or they say it's, it's it's just made up agenda well the 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 whole process and it is a process in which the weather has been changing mm-hmm. and this year the the floods the connection goes even deeper than just the fact that the floods occurred mm-hmm. Uh, there were several things that began back in March. One was the heat wave that covered Pakistan and India. And a recent study that was done by the World uh, Attribution Initiative that's based right there in London um, uh, indicates that the heat wave was 30 times more likely Mm -hmm. because of human-caused climate change. And it was a record heat in some parts of Pakistan and India. This persisted mm-hmm. into June. 
mm-hmm. which created in the atmosphere this what we call a thermal low, which helped to pull even more moisture up from the Arabian Sea into the area. The heat wave exacerbated the melting of the glaciers and the mountains, and the added moisture coming in with the monsoon, mm-hmm. all of this kind of combined to produce the floods that you're seeing now in Pakistan, and they all have the fingerprint of human-caused climate change. Absolutely. I mean, I remember actually traveling to Pakistan, and this was in 2019, actually visiting the north, very beautiful. Um, but the the infrastructure and the roads are not, you know, like we have here in Europe, let's say, in Switzerland or Norway. Um, and, and, and we actually, you know, when we're traveling, we witnessed a landslide. And, and it was it was horrible, uh, you know, at the time. And now, you know, sitting here at home and seeing the catastrophe that the country is is is, is going through um, is 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 truly saddening. Uh, and um, you know, th- our, our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, to all those you know victims, you know, who are who are going through this these these challenging times. So, Jim, welcome to the show. Um, I have a question for you. How how are these human activities related to these natural disasters in general, like such as droughts and flooding, fires, etc.? Well, you know, as the atmosphere warms, the atmosphere is able to hold more water vapor. And that that extra water vapor gives storms mm-hmm. uh, and kind of an extra boost of energy. But in in the case of Pakistan, it goes even more than that Mm -hmm. because the entire circulation pattern was set up this year to produce these floods. Mm -hmm. You know, these floods do not occur every year. But this is similar and may actually surpass the floods in Pakistan of 2010. Mm -hmm. And that was an extreme event. Mm-hmm. And to say that we've got this extreme event so close to that one, mm-hmm. that's a bit unusual. And because of the rate of melting that's taking place mm-hmm. in the Himalayas, on those glaciers, mm-hmm. uh, and the fact that this year <coughs> we're in a La Nina, which is adding um, to the circulation pattern and more moisture coming up from the Arabian Sea, mm-hmm. this is an example of how the weather is driven by climate. It, there's there's a um, there's mm-hmm. an interesting quote from Dr. Deke Arndt that I've never forgotten. He he said, "Weather throws the punches, mm-hmm. but climate trains the boxer." Mm-hmm. And in this particular case, the climate now is kind of feeding back into this the weather, and, mm-hmm. and the weather pattern this year has been such that we've seen those devastating floods in Pakistan. This is an example of what we would call a climate catastrophe. And while this is just one part of the globe that's experiencing this, Mm -hmm. as we continue to see warming taking place, other areas will begin to see similar types of catastrophe. Jim, I mean, I wanted to ask you, you know, you spoke about circulation pattern um, were the country aware or you know, the authorities aware of what is to come? And, and do you think they could have done anything to, let's say, limit uh, the disaster that they, 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 they actually have at hand uh, now? Well, I'm not sure that there's not a lot that Pakistan itself... I mean, they haven't 
they haven't recovered fully from mm-hmm. the flood of 2010. And now wow. they've got a flood that looks like it exceeds what they saw back then. They've got a lot of issues to address. Mm-hmm. And Pakistan is not a wealthy country. Mm-hmm. So it's going to take a lot of resources to prepare them for the next event mm-hmm. whenever that happens. And I'm sure that it probably will happen sometime in the near future. Uh, so I, I don't know exactly what they can do. It's, it's a very challenging task for them. Keep in mind that Pakistan doesn't contribute that much to the global increase in greenhouse gases. So mm-hmm. it's, it's really more of a function of the world has to do something, not mm-hmm. just Pakistan. Makes sense. And, and also, I, I did want to ask you, you know, particularly because that's the very next thing we're going to speak about, is many politicians you would you know, you would know uh, being in this field for such a long time have basically called climate change a hoax. They've said it's just it's just made up, uh, you know, despite the fact that practically there is a consensus in the you know scientific community that a climate change is real and b it's being caused by human activities. What what right. what do you say on that? Well, you know, the politicians are going to play politics. Scientists do science. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting. There was a Nobel Prize winning physicist, Richard mm-hmm. Feynman, who once said. Science is what we do to keep from lying to ourselves. Hmm. And that's what the scientists have done. And in the last two years, there have been over 10,000 scientific papers that have been published on climate change. Mm -hmm. And not a single one of them, not a single one, Mm -hmm. dismisses or or points Mm -hmm. to the conclusion that it's not human cause. Uh, so the science is there. The, the evidence is conclusive. Whether a politician wants to accept it or not, you know, that's up to them. But the science is pretty clear about what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's particularly true here in the United States where we have a political party that dismisses it. Mm-hmm. But the science is real. It's there. And if you ignore it, you're going to pay the price. <coughs> Absolutely. And we were just discussing before how, how you know, COVID-19, let's put it into perspective, there was a consensus among, you know, all politicians, all countries that, you know, it is affecting us. There's a scientific research. We've got to believe in, you know, uh, the, we've got to believe in the experts, you know, you know, uh, you know, against all of the online, you know, conspiracy theories and stuff against the vaccine and stuff. Why isn't it, this, why isn't it, this, you know, the same case with climate change when, when, when scientists are warning them for over what, 50, 60 years now? Easily. Um, well, you know, I, can't ex- I can't speak to what politicians mm-hmm. and how they behave outside of the United States, but here in the United States, it's become a divisive issue. It didn't used to be that way. Mm-hmm. But as we approach the election, oh, I think it was back in 2000, it became a divisive issue Mm -hmm. and so it's and because of the politics in the United States Mm -hmm. it's it's become an issue where one party accepts the science the other party does not Mm -hmm. Um, and and they're just playing politics 
Jim, um, I wanted to understand a bit more about Climate Central and if you could explain to our listeners um, just a bit more about what it is and the, the partnership that they started with weathercasters in the United States. Sure. Uh, we recognized a long time ago that we needed to inform people about how climate change was affecting them locally. Climate Central uh, started, um, oh, I'm not sure exactly the year it started, 2006, seven or eight, somewhere in that time frame, mm -hmm. as an a non nonprofit, nonpartisan organization trying to increase education about climate change. Well, in 2009, uh, a broadcast meteorologist by the name of Joe Witte came up with this idea to try to get local TV weathercasters to draw the connection between climate change and what people were experiencing in their climate and their weather. Hmm. So we needed to test uh, the, the, the thesis. And my TV station um, mm -hmm. decided that they would cooperate and be a test case for this project. And the project was called Climate Matters. Mm -hmm. And for a year, I broadcast segments on the air, connecting the dots primarily. And what we found was that at the end of the year, people that watched those segments had a better sense of what was going on in the climate than those who did not. Mm -hmm. And that was what we were hoping it would find, but you never know until you do it. Um, the project mm -hmm. was a success. Mm -hmm. It continued in 2012. It went national. Mm -hmm. And today, about half of the broadcast meteorologists in the United States use the material. And it, it's, it's met with, some, ex, uh, with mm -hmm. some success there because we can see from the polling that's taking place, people are aware mm -hmm. that the climate is changing. They are aware of some of the impacts of those changes. And it's kind of interesting that while there's one party here in the United States that dismisses mm -hmm. um, uh, climate change. The fact is that more than half of the members that identify with that particular party believe that climate change is human cause. Thank you so much, Jim. I have one really quick question. Um, last question. What does it feel like to own the key to a city? <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't been unable. I haven't been able to unlock any doors yet. Oh. <laughs> but um, it was um, it was truly a good feeling uh, to be recognized as I retired because I was here in Columbia because mm -hmm. I was at the NBC affiliate before I was at the CBS affiliate. And so I was here in Columbia broadcasting for 34 years. Mm -hmm. And I saw a lot of weather events that transpired here in South Carolina mm -hmm. and was able to be a, a part of the effort to advise people what to do, and then to be a pioneer in educating viewers about climate change, mm -hmm. that was quite a thrill as well. So it, it was a rewarding <clears throat> career, um, but it was time for me to step away, and it's time for the young people to step forward. Thank you so much. appreciate that, and we appreciate you uh, 
I mean, thank thank you so much once again for coming on and giving us your expert advice. And it won't be the last time ta- time that we have you on. Thank you. Oh well, thank you. I appreciate that. Assalamualaikum. Peace and blessings, God be upon you. So this was uh, Jim Gandhi, a retired met- met- meteorologist, uh, you know, giving his expert advice and and basically. Uh, you know, explaining uh, that that, that there, there, there is a scientific consensus, and despi- despite that scientific consensus, and 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 not a single report, uh, you know, not a single study, you know, uh, you know, coming to a conclusion contrary to that, that we still have 139 elected officials in the U.S. Congress who refuse to acknowledge the scientific evidence, uh, you know, of human caused climate change. And these same 139 climate-denying members have received more than $61 million in lifetime contributions from coal, oil, and gas industries. So that kind of puts into perspective for us, uh, you know, that that it's clear that there are likely ultra-motives for, you know, for these politicians Mm. uh, that are pushing uh, them to take a climate-denying stance. But but we were asked for how long? You know, at the end of the day, there, there would come a time when it's going to affect their families too. You know, I think it's got a lot to do with greed, right? It's Absolutely, it's the it's like you said, the ulterior motives um, in in anything. So I think that it's really important for you know, even if our listeners take one thing away from today, they they understand that th- this is a real thing. There's a lot of information out there, and you know, we can we can do something about it. I think there's still time, and you know, regardless of what politicians like may say, you know. Mm-hmm. It is a real thing, and it is linked to human activity. Absolutely, and you know the United States Environmental uh, Protection Agency, or EPA, explains that although you know there are some natural processes that can affect uh, the Earth's climate, those natural processes do not explain the warning, uh, the warming actually that we have observed over the last century. Uh, I mean, the global warming that we've we've seen since the 1950s, let's say, cannot be explained by naturally occurring variations in the climate. Uh, you know, based on the EPA's research, they say uh, it is extremely likely that human activities have been the dominant cause of the global warming that we have seen, you know, since the 1950s. And the EPA, you know, even goes as far as to put a number on it and, you know, yeah. um, saying that based on research, there is over a 95% chance that human activity is to blame for these changes that we're seeing in the Earth's temperature. 95%. Let that sink in for a second. Right? And, you know, there is, there is almost no doubt that we are the cause of these drastic, adverse changes to the climate. So, basically, it's us, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We are the problem. And therefore, like, it's only us. We are the ones who are going to have to make the change mm-hmm. if we want to see an improvement. Um, and the, the issue with the human psyche is, uh, Fahim, that as long as it doesn't affect you, you're basically in denial. Although you accept the con- you know, consequences or the occur- these occurrences that are happening, mm. but it doesn't affect you. You're living in UK, you know, you're living in a certain out part sight, of, out, 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 out of sight. Mm. You may send 10, 15 pounds or hundreds, you know, a thousand pounds as a donation later on. It doesn't do nothing for these people. Let me mm. be very, very honest with you. They've lost their homes, they've lost their cattle, they've lost, some of them lost their children. And you cannot even comprehend what these people are going through. And then for, you know, for, for these politicians to have the audacity to say, you know, climate change doesn't exist at all. Mm. Uh, don't know what, well, you know what else we can say on that. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the, the ways human beings are 
contributing to climate change is through increased CO2 emissions Mm -hmm. from industrial processes. You know, you were talking about the EPA earlier. The the EPA reported that since 1970, CO2 emissions have increased by about 90%. 90. That's crazy. Crazy numbers. I mean, uh, I I mean, let's let's now come to, you know, we've discussed these statistics. We've discussed, we've, we've, we've spoken to an expert. And, 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 and what I concluded from, from that interview, although, you know, he answered, you know, very, you know, uh, eloquently answered our questions, um, it's, 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 ver- it's pretty much clear that, that, that things run based on the interests of these politicians. Mm. <laughs> you know, they are running the world at the end of the day, despite, uh, you know, research and all of these things out there that the majority can't, can't don't have a say. Yeah. You know, there's, there's, you know, a 1% minority in the world that are run, that run, running, running the things. Uh, although we say we call it democracy, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, uh, yeah, I that think they're, that, they're, that they're meant to rep- represent us, uh, you know, the people. Yeah, I think that you know, it's it's humans, it's our um, our greed and our uh, you know the ulterior motives that have this impact. So, mm-hmm. I think that's where Islam can be quite beneficial, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But now, I mean. Uh, we do, I think, have on, on, on our line our next esteemed guest. We have Dr. Alex Wan, who is a Migration Patterns Fellow at the Environmental Resilience Institute of Indiana University. Uh, his research focuses on understanding how and why birds migrate, as well as the risks they face from current future changes to the ecosystems they inhabit. He has a PhD in interdisciplinary E- ecology from the University of Florida. Uh, with this short introduction, Assalamu alaikum. Welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for joining us today. Um, we're speaking about climate change. It's, it's something that we all know about. It's something that we, you know, we discuss um, in our in, in in the circles, as, you know, as well as here at Voice of Islam and various other platforms. People are talking about it. Um, the question that we, we we have for you is, you know, from your expertise. Um, can you give us insight into how human activities are actually affecting birds specifically, as well as the environment? Yes, well, I mostly focus my research on migratory birds, birds that mm-hmm. are traveling hundreds or even thousands of kilometers every year. Not all birds do that, of course, but in terms mm-hmm. of migratory birds, there's certainly many of them are certainly being impacted by climate change because they rely on ecosystems that are sometimes thousands of kilometers apart and on different continents. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to, um, in quotation marks, predict, you know, what's the conditions of that uh, destination going to be when they get there. So, for example, we study birds that migrate all the way to Alaska from Texas or Oklahoma or Indiana, uh, where they spend the winter. They need to leave at an appropriate time of year and arrive in Alaska not too early or not too late, right? If you get there too early, you might get hit by a late blizzard, late winter storm. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, if they get there uh, too late, then summer might already be underway and they don't have time to reproduce. So because the timing of that um, phenology, uh, mm-hmm. the basically when spring arrives is changing, uh, what we're basically studying is um, how are these birds reacting those changes and um, are they reacting fast enough makes sense yeah and so I, I'm intrigued like um, how 
how how is climate change impacting birds um, you know habitats could you could you delve into that a bit more detail yeah well in in general um, in general ecosystems up at high latitudes basically arctic latitudes seem to be changing in many ways um, faster than at mm-hmm. lower latitudes like the tropics mm-hmm. um, so you know the reason we ch- we for example study the birds up in Alaska is to under mm. is to compare how how are migratory birds um, up there um, being impacted by these rapid changes. So um, our research is still underway. We don't have um, definitive results to present yet to the public, but um, based on other research, other similar research, it appears that some birds indeed are being um, impacted by um, the, these changes. Um, they're, and it depends on the species, but some, if they're not arriving in time to these higher latitudes, their, their numbers are decreasing. So mm-hmm. um, there was an influential study um, in the last couple of years here in uh, North America showing mm-hmm. that many populations of birds are, are decreasing, and, and it's basically a biodiversity crisis we're undergoing. Um, and and uh, the losses are worldwide, and, and for mm-hmm. many birds and other other types of animals as well. But here in North America, um, it's sort of a perfect storm in terms of the the impacts from climate change, the mm-hmm. timing. So a lot of these birds aren't able to pre- uh, accurately predict mm-hmm. their migration now because of climate change. So mm-hmm. they might arrive at their destination too late now, or too early because climate has um, changed so quickly. Uh, mm-hmm during their lifetimes. And on top of that, they're dealing with all these other changes that were, you know, human-induced changes to the environment, such as pesticides and urbanization. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a perfect storm in the sense that these birds are not only dealing with climate change, but Mm -hmm. also all these other impacts, you know, due to human activity. And so it's kind of a combination of things. Makes sense. Um, Does this research, uh, you know, anywhere reflect on the impact uh, that the climate change is is actually having on humans too? I mean, how how does this research, you know, take that into account? Yes, that's a good question. And uh, what we're addressing in that um, perspective for the birds we study, which are the birds that uh, we're studying right now are the American robin. And it's a very closely related species to uh, one you have in Europe. Mm-hmm. called the European blackbird. A lot of your listeners might have it in their backyard. Mm-hmm. So these uh, robins, American robins, in North America inhabit people's backyards. They'll inhabit the forest, mm-hmm. uh, a variety of, of ecosystems, and, and some of them migrate, even all, all the way to Alaska. Mm-hmm. And what they're, what we found and other research has found is that they're carrying a lot of zoonotic diseases as well, so mm. diseases that can spill over from animals into humans. So... For example, West Nile virus, which arrived here in North America a few decades ago, mm-hmm. th- these robins are carriers of that uh, disease. So they um, pick up, uh, they're, they're basically they get bitten by a mosquito maybe in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And what we're studying is what is their ability to carry that um, virus on spring migration up towards places like Canada and mm-hmm. Alaska. Mm-hmm places where maybe the virus doesn't exist right now because the climate has been too cold for mosquitoes. But as, as the climate warms and mosquitoes start living in these, um, the type of mosquito that carries uh, West Nile virus, mm-hmm. you know, also can live it in more different places. The birds would be the um, means for that virus to um, actually migrate within the birds to 
new places as climate change allows that um, mm-hmm. that virus and the mosquitoes also to live there. So, yeah, we're studying these these zoonotic diseases and 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 the ability of these birds to carry them during migration. Interesting. And so, you know, for, for our listeners today, what, what advice could you give us? Like, what are some of the steps that we can take to to address climate change? Yeah, some of the uh, everyday kinds of things we can all do is just consume less um, in terms of electricity, for example. That's a big one. Um, mm. You know, the, uh, at least here in the United States, uh, much of the electricity is coal generated. So <clears throat> all the emissions, obviously, from, you know, these um, gen- generation plants, they're not evident uh, on an everyday basis, but if, if we can all lower our consumption of electricity, um, it, it has a pretty big impact down the road. So a lot of states even um, are, are um, requiring it in, in some cases where there's hydropower. Um, now that there's droughts, especially out west like in California, mm-hmm. um, th- you know, there's a real concern that uh, a lot of the electrical grid is not going to be able to function if it's based on hydropower. So consuming less is, is something we can all do, and, and also just vote, vote, go out and vote at the right time when, when the uh, elections are coming around and um, elect leaders that uh, are aligned with your values. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much, uh, uh, Dr. Alex. It's, it was a ple- pleasure speaking to you, you know, your expertise and you know, everything you've, you know, you've had to say here. Thank you so much um, for giving us your expert advice. Thank you for having me. Take care. Bye-bye. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call and give your opinion also in this subject that we're discussing today. But we do have only twenty minutes to go, Fahim, and uh, there's an aspect that we do need to cover. Yes. What is that? It's Islam. Islam. Uh, yeah. What does Islam teach us uh, with regards to you know, human beings uh, well, ha- having to live in harmony with all other living things? Yeah, I think um, you know. Simply put, uh, greed is is clearly an, a reason for this. Um, you know, uh, Doctor <coughs> Alex uh, John just um, mentioned about you know we can save um, electricity can can be our contribution in the UK today. You know, you, it will save you some money. So if you need the the more selfish angle of it, then then save yourself some money and and, and the planet at the same time. But yeah, um, a lot of this does come back down to greed, and Islam actually preaches a moderate lifestyle in in all things, whether it's the food we eat, uh, how much we spend, our wealth, and so on. And you know, our the Prophet Muhammad, uh, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, mm-hmm. uh, was a simple man who wore simple clothing. Uh, you know, he ate food in moderation and cared for all living creatures. Mm-hmm. creatures so if we even just embodied that spirit mm-hmm. you know we and that blessed example we would definitely not be having some of these problems today absolutely i mean we're, we're consuming way more than we actually need hmm. and uh, this is why you know there's one hadith of the you know holy prophet peace be upon him uh you know where he you know one of this uh, one of the narrations which, which particularly speak about the importance of caring for animals let's say uh, he says one day a man, you know, became very thirsty while walking down the road. You know, he came across a well, went in, down into it and drank and then climbed out. In front of him, he found a dog panting, eating the dust out of thirst. The man said, uh, the dog is as thirsty as I was. He went back down into the well and, you know, filled his shoe, putting it uh, into his mouth in order to, um, you know, climb back up. And then, of course, gave that water to the dog. 
Uh, therefore, Allah thanked him and you know for forgave uh, all all his sins. Uh, and the Messenger of Allah, peace upon him, said, um, you know, they said, the Messenger of Allah, we will have a reward on account of animals. You know, these are the companions asking. He said, hmm. he said, there is a reward on account of every level, living thing. Hmm. So every action of ours is is you know it's would serve as a reward or would you know would serve as you know um, a punishment for us. We, yeah. we, we are uh, we are responsible at the at the end of the day. So this hadith you know shows us the importance of actually caring for every living thing, keeping you know the verse from the Holy Quran uh, you know um, in in mind. Um, you know it speaks about uh, you know which Allah says this from chapter fifty five verse eleven that uh, and He has set the earth for His creatures. Right, um, that that we're not the only beings or creatures in this in this world. We have exactly. to take care of the take care of our surroundings, and especially the you know, Dr. Alex John's research into into these birds. It, it, it actually reflects because these these creatures have a relationship with us. Hmm. They have a certain pattern or a cycle because God God Almighty refers to them in the Holy Quran as communities. Yeah, you know, these, these 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 birds, and you know, he refers to them as communities. So whilst you know the, the and the impact that that the climate having. On them, I think research would also reflect how it's it's impacting us. Yeah, know, how would you feel like if you went back home and realized your house wasn't there? You know, yeah, like exactly. It's, uh, simply put, mm-hmm. there, there, there's there's one beautiful uh, statement of uh, Hazrat Ali Razilatalano. I do want to state that is very beautiful. Of, uh, you know, I find it really uh, <coughs> beautiful to state. He, he said, "Be like the honeybee. Hmm. Uh, anything it eats is clean. Anything it drops is sweet. And the branch it sits upon does not break." So be like that, you know, mm. that in, in the individual, um, you know, that anything he, you know, uh, emits, it's, it's positive, right? So, I mean, overall, the way the world works, you know, shows us that we, we don't live in harmony with the rest of God's creatures. We're always, always thinking about ourselves, yeah. right? Uh, then it comes back to harm us. And in fact, even the COVID-19 pandemic, and I think Dr. Alex John was referring to this, you know, these, these birds, you know, picking up these diseases and, you know, bring, bringing them along. Even the COVID-19, you know, pandemic, they said, uh, has, has ties to climate change. Some people wonder, you know, why all of these pandemics are coming from, you know, where are they coming from? And more, most recently, monkeypox has become, you know, becoming of increased concern, um, as we know. And in an article from the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform, on biodiversity and ecosystem services, or the IPBES, explained basically that diseases like COVID-19 are caused by microorganisms that infect our bodies, uh, with more than 70% of all emerging diseases affect people having originated in wildlife and domesticated animals. Pandemics, however, are caused by activities that bring increasing number of people into direct contact and often conflict with the animals that carry these pathogens, right? Um, so, you know, this, you know, we are so worried about, you know, sort of economic growth, uh, you know, carelessly, you know, cutting down forests and trying to drive animals out of their mm. natural habitats. But we're coming into unnecessary contact with animals that are giving us diseases. Yeah. Um, we're going to discuss on that, you know, more. But we do have on the line our next esteemed guest. We have Dr. Uh, Brian Forrest on the line, um, uh, who is a leader in the field of park interpretation which is a field that establishes the value of preserving outdoor park resources. In both 2019 and 20, uh, 2018 and 2019, Dr. Brian Forrest received the Excellence in Teaching Award for the Indiana University Department of Recreation, Park and Tourism Studies, among other, among other awards and honors. He's currently a faculty member of Indiana University's Department of Health and Wellness Design. With this short introduction, assalamu alaikum, may peace and blessings of God be upon you, and welcome to the Drive Time Show. 
Well, thank you so much. I'm very happy to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure you know, to be speaking to you. Um, talking about you know, climate change um, and uh, you know, this, this discussion that we're having for the past, uh, let's say, you know, 4 or 40 minutes or so, can you help our viewers understand how human activities are actually affecting parks? Sure. Uh, you know, it, it's interesting because my experience with national parks has mm-hmm. been such that we tend to think parks are very far away. They're, mm-hmm. they're out you know, in the western United States. That's not true. They're all over the United States. But when I work with my students, mm-hmm. they tend to think that you know, nature is out there, not nearby. Mm-hmm. The reality is humans have affected nature everywhere on the planet. There's really nowhere that is untouched. Mm-hmm. And certainly in an era of climate change where what we do in one place can affect the entire planet, and we, we know this now, uh, there's nowhere that has been fully protected from greenhouse gases, uh, the effects of a, a warming climate, uh, all kinds of air pollutants, uh, mm-hmm. particulates in the air that... Uh, interruptive view. So really, all of our protected areas in the United States is what I know. All of our protected areas are in some way affected by uh, human activity. And it doesn't necessarily matter where that activity takes place. Mm -hmm. It's not fully the responsibility of the U.S. I think we are all, as global citizens, Mm -hmm. uh, doing things that affect the entire planet. Right, and so how can parks and, and park interpreters um, help to in, inform people about climate change? Yeah, um, that's an interesting one. That's something I've done some research on. Uh, when, when I talk about park interpretation, it's really what I, I would say public communication. How do we uh, communicate with the public in order to help them connect to the place and then consider their behaviors and how they might want to choose to, to change behaviors to ensure that protection of place. Mm-hmm. I, I think a big piece of it is knowing when and where to communicate about something so that it resonates with a visitor, with the, with the public. If you'll indulge me, I can tell you a story. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the national park sites where I've done research, uh, Shenandoah National Park, Mm-hmm. in the state of Virginia. It's not uh, far from Washington, D.C., a uh, really interesting park that was established in the 1930s uh, along a, a mountain ridge. Mm-hmm. And it's a, a linear park about 100 miles north to south, and it's quite narrow just along this mountain ridge. When I was doing some research there in 2014, the park was really interested in learning about how they can best communicate about climate change to their visitors. And the the park managers had decided, based on scientific research, that they were going to focus their interpretation on one species, <laughs> uh, a small animal called the Shenandoah salamander. And, and this uh, small amphibian uh, lives in moist areas, on only a couple of mountaintops in the park. And the real concern for wildlife managers Mm -hmm. was that historically, 
if they needed to go to a cooler environment, they could simply go higher on the mountain. Mm -hmm. And now that they're found only on the two highest mountains in the park and at the top of those mountains, Mm -hmm. they have nowhere else to go. So that was essentially the the message. Mm -hmm. And I was able to observe two different cases where the National Park was designing interpretive experiences for the public about the Shenandoah salamander. One was a a talk done along the the highway that goes through the park, um, not on one of the mountaintops, and it was a talk entirely about the salamander. Uh, So for 25 minutes, the guests learned or were were exposed to a lot of information about the salamander. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, It was communicated very well from an educator's point of view. I interviewed people who had listened to that talk uh, between three and six months afterward, and they couldn't tell me much about climate change. Mm -hmm. They did know that the talk was about a salamander, and there was something that was affecting it. Mm -hmm. But in this concentrated communication about the salamander, and climate change, it was kind of words going in and then going out. But the other case was a hike that was led by a park ranger. The visitors walked a couple of miles. They went from a low elevation area to the top of one of the two mountains Mm -hmm. where that salamander is found. Mm -hmm. Along that hike, they focused on probably 15 different topics from... uh, an invasive insect causing problem with hemlock trees to forest fires to geology to human history. And for a very few minutes, the ranger uh, talked about the Shenandoah salamander, about the effect that climate change was happening on it. Visitors spent a couple of minutes turning over logs looking for the salamander. None were found. Mm-hmm. But every single person that I interviewed three to six months later could tell me that they learned about the Shenandoah salamander that was being affected by climate change, that they have had nowhere higher to go, and that their behaviors might need to change. Mm -hmm. What I discerned from those two cases Mm -hmm. was that communicating in location matters, where you communicate matters, that the visitors really embraced the story of the salamander because they were in its habitat. And I think there was action involved as well. They were looking for it. They didn't find it. But that act of looking, I think, really made a difference. So I think when we're going to communicate about Mm -hmm. uh, a critical issue like climate change, Mm -hmm. maybe that iconic uh, species in this case that can register with people is important or some impact that the visitor can really visualize. Mm -hmm. And I think being at the top of the mountain made a lot of difference. And then being in the habitat of that Mm -hmm. organism that's going to be affected matters. So I would say we need to be careful about where we communicate. Uh, It needs to be in context. And uh, of course, the more active and the more engaging the visitor, the better off I think we'll all be. Absolutely. Thank you so much for uh, coming on and giving us your expert advice. I would definitely have you on again. Thank you so much. Surely.
Take care. Bye-bye. 0208-687-7878 is the number to call. We only have about uh, six minutes to go, but we do have on the line, our next guest, we have on the line Dr. Richard Rood, who has a PhD in metriology. He's currently a professor at the University of Michigan, and his current uh, physical climate research is focused on bridging the study of weather and climate. Uh, with a short introduction, considering the time that we have, we wanted to uh, welcome Dr. Rood on the line. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to the Drive Time Show. <coughs> Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. So, of course, we're speaking about climate change. Uh, we've been speaking to you know various other guests and the expert advice. I mean, generally speaking, people you know can can be very uh, s- skeptical of scientists. Uh, you know, a lot of people do know do not know who to trust, and that's why it can be easy to become misinformed when a famous politician or you know you know publicly states that climate change isn't real or climate change isn't caused by human activities although you know all of the research papers say contrary to that i mean the question that we have for you um, can you explain the 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 importance of information dissemination in this you know climate emergency you know plus um, i mean some of the ways that climate change uh, experts can gain trust of people you know, this is a very difficult question, and it occurs naturally, you know, from any time that science becomes important to public policy. I think one of the things to realize is, you know, there have been active campaigns to spread misinformation and disinformation in order to create doubt, and those techniques are quite effective. So when I think about this, I think about I don't have the job of changing everybody's opinion. I need to work on those who are willing to accept knowledge and willing to accept information. Mm -hmm. And what I've worked very hard to do is not to take a straight up advocacy position, but try to present evidence in Mm -hmm. such a way that people can understand it and make decisions. Mm I mean, that's very, that's very interesting. I was asking our previous guest this thing as well. I, I was saying, you know, we were discussing among ourselves as well. When it came to COVID-19, right? Um, I mean, the, the whole of the world had this consensus that we have to fight this virus. Um, you know, all of the studies are in support of this, although there was some online misinformation about vaccines and all of these things. But, you know, from from the authority, from the, you know, from the political circles, there was a consensus and every, everybody was believing in what the scientists were saying. Why is it not the case with the climate change? Well, I would argue in the United States it was not the case with COVID-19 either. Okay. And and so, uh, you know, I think one of the reasons that you don't see it with climate change is, well, I think there are a couple. One, I do not think that people generally are very good at understanding things that are going to be happening in the future. Mm-hmm. And they find it difficult to assess the the threat or the risk that is associated with something that is far off. Mm -hmm. They look around and they see, well, you know, the climate, the weather's really nice today, um, and and I don't see it affecting me. Then you have something like the big heat wave that that hit London, not you know, and then all of a sudden some people are activated. But I think the uh, the other problem is that there's a natural instinct with many people that they want to wait to see what happens so that they can react to a problem because they feel as if they might prepare for a problem and waste money, Mm. for example, or waste effort or waste time. Mm -hmm. So I think there are many things behaviorally, you know, from my 
from my perspective, one of the most important aspects of advancing the climate problem mm-hmm. is to actually think about it from the point of view of, of human behavior and human communication at this mm-hmm. point. Uh, absolutely, and and of course, just in in a, in a minute or so, if you can, you know, uh, reiterate, uh, you know, uh, how us as human beings, what we can do in our daily lives um, to lessen this impact on climate change. So I think there are two things that people should be doing today. Almost all of the public discourse is on how to reduce carbon emissions mm-hmm. and how to reduce other greenhouse gas emissions, and those things are very important. Mm-hmm. And you know, things like, you know, saving energy um, and conservation are an important element to that. Mm-hmm. Politically, we need to be advocating moving more to renewable energy and supporting technology. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're forgetting and what is really important at this point is we need <clears throat> to be actively preparing for adaptation. Mm-hmm. The floods that are happening are not one-off events. They're going to keep happening. And mm-hmm. so we need to be very actively thinking about how both as individuals and communities we adapt to these, you know, uh, accelerating events. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Richard. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Unfortunately, the time has gotten the be- better of us, and it will not be the last time they'll be speaking to you. Thank you again once so much for jo- okay. joining us and giving Thank us your you. expert advice. Thank you. Take care. You're, Bye-bye. You're welcome. Bye. So this is it from us. Uh, you know, hopefully our listeners will be able to take away from discuss- this discussion that the climate crisis is real and it's virtually a scientific consensus that human activities are causing it. Uh, and climate change is having a drastic adverse consequences. So may we be able, uh, you know, to reform ourselves and, you know, follow the, the, the examples of our beloved prophet, peace be upon him, you know, who, who, who paved this life for us, you know, to, to only take what's ne- necessary. And may Allah the Almighty, you know, grant us all peace and the, all those that are going through suffering, whether it's in Pakistan or anywhere uh, around the world. Uh, with that, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. We'll be back after the short news break. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Allah, Allah. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Welcome to the second hour of the Drive Time Show here at Voice of Islam, where we will be discussing the nuclear apocalypse back on agenda. We'll be discussing the threat of a global war and its catastrophic consequences. Um, Nuclear war, uh, nuclear apocalypse uh, was postponed in 1968. Now, it's basically back on agenda as geopolitical tensions rise in nuclear armed states. A small nuclear war can transform the entire planet. The more developed nations were, you know, substance in basically considering that the battleground was thousand miles away from them but today the threat of children being orphaned women being widowed and children born with disabilities and deformities through nuclear warfare is ever increasing 
the world over. Now, I mean, the world sees that what we all feared is happening. The promised Messiah, on whom be peace, once wrote, O Europe, you are not safe, and O Asia, neither are you secure, and all the dwellers of the islands, no artificial god will come to your aid. I see cities falling and habitations in ruin. This was from Hakikatul Wahi, page 328. I mean, nuclear wars, uh, nuclear war forecasts, what what do we have to say? I mean, His Holiness have been speaking about this well over a decade. Um, there was a time when these politicians were saying he's painting a very bleak picture of our future. Uh, you know, others, uh, you know, were saying that, yes, there are genuine concerns. Uh, but now, all, all, all of a sudden, you know, you have this consensus in this discussion that, uh, you know, you, you, from 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 the Russians, I think I was I was reading one of these articles where I think it was a spokesperson or someone who says the third world war has already begun. Mm. Um, and and if you go online and you type, you know, just a simple search in Google, various influencers and various uh, people with these channels are actually speaking about it yeah. very openly and making plans as to, uh, you know, what is to come. Yeah. So, nuclear war forecasts. What do you have to say? Yeah, you know. Nuclear war is going to be so devastating, <coughs> right? We mm-hmm. need to, I think, that it's very, it's kind of what we're talking about climate change, where we said that it's a problem that, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And, you know, you can think of, you mm-hmm. know, it's not impacting my day to day life, right? Yep. I think that that's the biggest key here is that people can so easily get consumed with their life, mm-hmm. you know, going to work, doing that, and, like, you know, just hearing the news as noise yeah. and, and not really appreciating, you know, there are actually tensions. Yeah, um, and, 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 and and the point is, from, the, let's say, the last 30 years or so, the wars that have been happening, they've all been happening in the Middle East, and the West have, be, have basically been thinking, oh, we're yeah. safe, you know, it's, 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 it's away from us. But now, recently, just in, you know, what's happening in Ukraine, has made people realize no, it's it's not actually that 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 far away from us, and uh, you know. But uh, the thing is, is that a nuclear warhead, either it's on your doorstep or if it's miles and miles yeah. away, like it's mm-hmm. still gonna impact you if, if it gets targeted. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where it's like you know these nuclear war forecasts, mm-hmm. like you know the the NPT um, is about preventing the, the uh, nuclear non proliferation treaty. Um, it's about preventing nuclear war by encouraging disarmament halting proliferation uh, and promoting peaceful uses of nuclear science and technology the review conference <coughs> of the landmark uh, 1968 um involves 191 state party signatories few international agreements enjoy such near universal support nuclear armed israel india pakistan and north korea are shameful holdouts um so you know the f- five of the world's most powerful nations the us um russia china the uk and france have agreed uh, that a nuclear war cannot be won and must never be fought uh, in a rare joint pledge to reduce the risk of such a conflict ever starting mm. you know like but that says nothing yeah this is the thing right like <coughs> Everyone on paper is saying that it's a bad idea. Everyone knows it's Mm -hmm. a bad idea. The thing is, it's this whole, like, issue of always worrying about what everybody else is doing. It's always like, oh, you know, 
that they've got this technology we need to have it we need to be the best we need to have the most we need to mm-hmm. always be in the position of power um and i think that that's that's where it's kind of worrying and yeah, um of course you know, it's 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 back on the agenda for this show, and it's back in the agenda in in, in life as well. Of course, I mean the UN Secretary uh, General Antonio Guterres, you know, raised the alarm recently when opening the NPT conference. He, he said, "Today, humanity is just one misunderstanding, one miscalculation away from a nuclear annihilation." He warned, "We have been extraordinary." Uh, extraordinarily lucky so far but luck is not a strategy nor is it assured from geopolitical tensions boiling over into nuclear conflict the guardian uh, you know recently reported also that such a common statement on a major issue of global security has become a rarity at a time of increasing friction between russia china and the west with moscow threatening to invade ukraine and that was uh, you know we know we, we already know they've done that and China signaling, signaling its its readiness to use military force against Taiwan, the ju- the joint statement represents a renewed commitment to prevent any confrontation turning into a nuclear catastrophe. Um, now, you know, speaking about the conditions in in Ukraine, mm. Russia, and NATO, you know, have to you know have come to face to face. Only God knows, you know, only Allah knows who who will prove victorious and, and what the outcome would be. Uh, because the more it is stretched, it, it it would come to a time where you know, um, you know no one's gonna win. Exactly. Right? Like, this is the thing. Like it, it, you know, you can say this country or that country <coughs> won a nuclear war, but no one is going to win because of the devastating impact of nuclear yep. war. Like it's it's just you know, I think. It, I don't have the exact um, details, but for example, if it hit somewhere in Europe, like it's going to be felt, you know, the winds will blow it down, and it will mm-hmm. impact such a large span. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you know, talking about Putin's, you know, his 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 nuclear blackmail, uh, whether it's a bluff or not, we we don't know. But it has undoubtedly deterred direct U.S. and NATO intervention in Ukraine, and 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 so prolonged the war in a in a way. And now there's a concern that China may adopt similar tactics over Taiwan now. Then uh, Reuters, you know, reported on <coughs> sorry, 22nd December. This was in 2021. that Taliban soldiers in Afghanistan basically disrupted the the erecting of a security fence by the Pakistani military along the border between the two countries. Um, there is another ongoing conflict between India and China, as well as some other disputed territories. So wherever you look, there is some sort of a conflict, you know, there. Um, yeah, Kashmir and Palestine. Kashmir and Palestine. And you know, uh, we're speaking about uh, from the perspective of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. The you know the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, you know, said that he, he himself had been you know warning that eventually this world you know this would all lead to global de- devastation. Therefore, nations should reflect. Nations should uh, are usually in denial about this. But now, think tanks and analysts are coming to the same conclusion that the fifth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim com- community, Melabi's Hopper, has been warning about for a long, long time. Now, <coughs> talking about Weather's apologies, my throat is um, not right at, 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 at this current time. I mean, what could you tell us about humans, whether they can survive a nuclear war? Well, I think survival, would you want to survive after a nuclear mm. war? Like the, the impact would be so devastating. 
But um, yeah, like you know, we have examples. Unfortunately, um, in 1945, the U.S. attacked the Japanese cities of Hiroshima and Nagasaki with atomic bombs, giving us two real-world examples of the effects of nuclear weapons on human populations.、Mm-hmm. Now, so a total of 140,000 people in Hiroshima and 73,000 in Nagasaki. Died instantaneously or within five months due to the nuclear bar blast. Intense radiant heat from the fireball and ionizing radiation. So many survivors,、mm-hmm. later to become known as hibakusha in Japanese, suffered acute radiation sickness or ARS from neutron and gamma rays released by nuclear fission. In the blasts,、mm-hmm. symptoms included bloody diarrhea, hair loss, fever, and intense thirst, and many later died.、Um, as well as direct radiation from the fireballs, they were also exposed to radioactive fallout from the bomb. Now, this is seriously grim. Like the the long term, longer term effects、mm-hmm. of radiation experienced <coughs> by the hibakusha. Have been intensively studied and included increased levels of leukemia and solid cancers.、Um, I think you wanted to mention about、um, Dr. Ira Helfen, right? Yeah, yeah, he's he. I mean, he's a co-president of International、uh, Physicians from、uh, for 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 the you know prevention of nuclear war (IPPNW)、um, cautioned、uh, that even a very limited nuclear war involving less than 0.5 of world's nuclear weapons. Would cause catastrophic global climate disruption. It, it would it would cause a worldwide famine, putting up you know to two billion people at、uh, you know at risk of experiencing mass starvation.、Um, with with the、um, you know the the leader of the <coughs> Ahmadiyya Muslim uh, community, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed may Allah be his helper. He he His Holiness has warned. So first, you have to see what will be left in the extreme scenario of a nu- nuclear conflict, if any vegetation or animal life even survives. A new life would have to be started, as such, because in the aftermath of nuclear war, the effects of the radiation will have far-reaching consequences.、Mm. Whether above ground or underground, the radiation will penetrate, and normally, where humans die, their vegetation will also die. So it's not even the, the the impact on on just us as humans. It's, it's、yeah. the actual Earth. Will, That's what I'm saying.、Be. I mean, who would want to survive in that in、yeah. that in that scenario, as you were saying? But I think to to delve more upon the efforts of His Holiness, I think they're, they're, it's it's very important. As I said,、um, I mean, there is a whole website, and I do want to、uh, mention that to people. There's a website www.stopworldwar3.co.uk. Uh, you know, it's 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 a specific department of outreach and public relations of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. There's been various campaigns.、Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> you know, His Holiness,、uh, you know, wrote letters to 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 you know to to, to world leaders. You know, prime ministers of of, of the UK.、Uh, you know, let's letters to、uh, the various presidents around the world and various leaders to you know to pay heed and and. And not just focus on the vested interests and the pathway to peace campaign.、Uh, you know, ba- ba- basically,、uh, you know, had nine sort of point plan which which endorsed uh, uh, you know uh, this this、uh, this idea of of eliminating this threat.、Um, and、uh, just you know, basically going through them is is the very first thing is to recognize the creator. We all have a creator. 
<coughs> and 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 <coughs> just as we have rights towards a creator, we you know belonging to various faiths, we have rights towards a creation too. Mm. Um, you know, and and the second point being, uh, and that's very much related to what I was saying, is establishing absolute justice. Yeah. Without it, it's impossible to reach. Uh, you know, any uh, you know talk even you know talk about peace in the world. The third point being foster global unity. Hmm. The fourth being seek nuclear disarmament. Uh, armament. Uh, five, eliminating weapon uh, profiting. Just some of the things that we see that f- that have been fueling the war around the world. It How is it that these these these, these terrorist organizations? Where are they getting these th- their weapons from? You know, it's, 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 it's an important question to ask, and His Holiness has raised this on numerous of occasions. You know, at <coughs> sorry, peace symposiums held here, or whether at the you know European Parliament. Hmm. Um, the sixth point being e- uh, creating economic equity and eradicating poverty. Hmm. Um, you know, work. A second, seventh being work for the good of one's nation. Reject the eighth being reject every sort of extremism, and the ninth being instill service to humanity. So all of these points are <coughs> very universal. Hmm. <coughs> Sorry, they're 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 not um, in favor of any one religion, any yeah. one creed, any one color. You know, it's 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 a universal concept, and and people need to join hand now more than ever before 100% and I think you know it's so easy for people to like be like you know what my life's great <coughs> you know I don't, I don't need God or I don't need like you know religion in any way but like my, my explanation to them is just kind of like if you if you want to solve problems like this there are solutions in religion because you know God being the creator of the universe he has given us the blueprint on how to succeed like you know he hasn't left us here without a guide to be yep. successful absolutely so for these both but whether it's climate change or whether it's a nuclear war mm-hmm. we need to establish these principles of being fair and this this greed that is impacting us is impacting the 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 tensions politically it's impacting um the ability uh, um, you know our our planet mm. and and it all comes down to this principle of of greed and mm. i think we could delve into this a bit more later i think we can talk to our guests now but um yeah. you know greed is at the at the source of it for me absolutely absolutely we have on the line our first guest <coughs> of the show we have Seth Sheldon who is the uh, United Nations liaison for international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons ICAN winners of the 2017 Nobel Peace Prize Assalamu alaikum. May peace and blessings of God be upon you and welcome to the Drive Time Show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I mean, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons uh, was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize in 2017. Um, can you basically tell our listeners uh, a bit more about the organization and the work you guys actually do? Sure. Uh, I would be happy to. Uh ICANN, or the International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, we're a coalition of Mm -hmm. non-governmental organizations. Today, we number 617 organizations in 107 countries, but it's it's always growing. And uh, our partner organizations really range in terms of size and scope, but what unites them is a shared conviction that nuclear weapons present an overwhelming threat to humanity and that to ensure a world free of nuclear weapons, we have to eliminate them, and that the best way to do that is through a treaty-based prohibition. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were we were founded in 2007 by people working on this issue for many years in Australia, is where we were born, uh, and basically uh, 
were dismayed by the state of disarmament progress and prospects of use and the likely consequences of such use, but also inspired by the success of movements opposing other uh, humanitarian threats like landmines and cluster munitions, mm -hmm. and seeing from them that it's possible <coughs> to make progress on disarmament even before the possessor states are ready to join. Mm -hmm. And so, after years of uh, intergovernmental and civil society conferences, uh, in 2017, the treaty that we had worked to achieve, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons, was adopted at the United Nations in New York by 122 countries. And then later that year, in 2017, we were awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for our work to bring about that treaty and for our work to draw attention to the catastrophic humanitarian consequences that would result from any use of nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And so bringing it to something more recently, on, on the 26th of August, um, the ICANW held a press briefing. Could you tell us and, and the listeners about, um, you know, why this briefing was held? Right. So that was last week. That was last Friday. Mm -hmm. So um, Friday was the final day of the review conference for the Treaty on the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, or the NPT. That's a, a different treaty than the treaty I was just talking about, which is the Prohibition Treaty. But the NPT, this, this Non-Proliferation Treaty, uh, many of you probably are familiar with it on some level. It really represents the dominant paradigm of the nuclear weapons uh, intergovernmental architecture. It's got near universal support uh, uh, membership, uh, 191 states or 190, whether you think North Korea is properly withdrawn. But, mm -hmm. but most states, notably not um, for nuclear armed states, but um, any case, that's a separate tangent. But it's been enforced since 1970 and is widely considered to be the most uh, universalized framework relating to non-proliferation. It's also supposed to address nuclear disarmament and peaceful uses of nuclear energy. And so every five years, the state's parties hold this month-long conference to report on its progress to achieve these aims in these three pillars, disarmament, nonproliferation, peaceful uses. And Friday was the last day of it. So we, ICANN, <coughs> uh, me, and, and my executive director, we held a with Beatrice Finn. We had a press briefing. We had several of these throughout the conference. Mm -hmm. uh, but this was on the last day to discuss what was about to happen, uh, this dramatic ending of it that perhaps you, you noticed in the news because it was definitely making mainstream press, but uh, it, was a, it was a failure. Um, they, the state's parties failed to adopt an outcome document. Um, so they met for four weeks to negotiate drafts of an outcome. And mm -hmm. in the end, uh, it was rejected. Uh, the, the headline is that Russia blocked consensus on adoption. But <coughs> I, I think even, even before that was put to the floor and Russia um, was the lone state to speak up the block consensus. We knew that mm -hmm. the document had problems. And from our perspective, even if it had been adopted, we would have, um, we saw it as a failure at that point. Uh, it was so weak and weakened throughout <laughs> the month. Uh, and on particularly on issues relating to disarmament, uh, which is uh, one of its objectives. It was, devoid mm -hmm. of actions that could be credibly said to mm -hmm. advance disarmament, to have no d deadlines or benchmarks uh, for implementing 
disarmament objectives. And so we thought uh, fell short of addressing the urgency of the threats posed by nuclear weapons. So that's what we held the conference to discuss mm -hmm. and also to contrast it, by the way, with uh, the progress we saw just a month before that mm -hmm. by the Prohibition Treaty. Uh, so the, the other treaty that I told you about that we work for, mm -hmm. uh, the TPNW, the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Mm -hmm. We had a first meeting of states parties in June, so a month before this NPT conference. And there, we only met for three days, the country, the states parties, compared to this month-long meeting. But in our uh, meeting, we had our states adopted uh, like real strong progressive action on what can be basically set a framework for nuclear disarmament, a, a very powerful declaration condemning all nuclear threats and a 50-point action plan. Um, and it, it set up an intercessional uh, structure to to work towards implementing those commitments. Uh, and so, yeah, that stands in stark contrast to what I think we saw last month and this past month. And that's what we that's what we held a press conference about on Friday. Very interesting. Um, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you know, are both an example f of you know what a nuclear bomb can actually do. Why are countries still building nuclear nuclear weapons? Well, I think it's important to note that almost all countries are not building nuclear weapons mm -hmm. and in fact um, have committed and in many cases have recommitted to never doing so uh, and so i think when people talk about the incentives for why countries continue to mm -hmm. build nuclear weapons they they often overlook the that and i think to a fault overlook the the consensus from the vast majority of the world that's not doing that and uh, so I think that's that's one problematic framing of of this question because it, that we hear all the time, of course, that that um, you know w about about the about this small minority of of, of leaders that are pursuing these programs. Mm -hmm. um, and I I think the other point you know you mentioned about Hiroshima and Nagasaki as being these demonstrations of the destructive power of nuclear weapons, mm -hmm. and they are. I mean this this you know. 77 years ago this month, we, um, or August rather, last month, you know, we, we commemorated uh, mm -hmm. the 77th anniversary uh, of, of the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's, uh, you know, I think people who don't think about this all the time, what they need to be reminded about is that those bombings uh, preceded the invention, those were in 1945, and that preceded the invention in 1952 of the thermonuclear technology that has become mm -hmm. the basis for bombs that we have today, which are hundreds of times more powerful than the bombs mm -hmm. that the U.S. dropped in Japan. Um, and it makes those bombings look like ancient musket weaponry technology by comparison. So, uh, you know, it is the right question, like, why would anyone mm -hmm. pursue these weapons that we really know could spell the end of humanity. In fact, and we, and we see that um, reinforced all, all the more through scientific developments. We know, for instance, that two weeks ago, a study came out that demonstrates that based on previously under-examined data on yeah. consequences mm -hmm. of, on food, food supply, <clears throat> uh, a nuclear war between US and Russia to take the extreme example, mm -hmm. would lead to the death of up to 5 billion people. Mm -hmm. So essentially, the end of life as we know it. 
So I mean, why are they doing it though? Yeah. It's your question, right? So nine countries possess nuclear weapons, nine out of 195, right? Depending on how you count the countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and their rationale is that it deters others from attacking them. Mm-hmm. This is some of what they say, despite the fact that such a claim at, at best cannot be substantiated, but, but uh, most, I think a lot of analysts think make no sense, makes no sense as a security strategy. And even among them, I mean, most of them have acknowledged the imperative for disarming eventually, because everyone recognizes that without doing so, these weapons will be used. Mm-hmm. And when they are used, they're very likely to be used in response. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of these countries that have them acknowledge that there's an imperative for disarmament, and yet they say that it's just not the right time for them to take a mm. substantial step towards yep. disarmament. Yep. So our perspective, <coughs> which is served by the vast majority of the world, is the opposite, that the mm. current security environment actually necessitates urgent action to disarm, and that if they're not going to do it, everyone else needs to do something to, mm. to force their hand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I don't I don't seem to un- understand, I do wanted to get your opinion on this, is countries like um, US, especially, uh, in talking about the Hiroshima and Nagasaki event, uh, you know, J- Japan being the victim of it, should 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 be vocal, you know, and, and should be the first to come forward and say, because I was just researching on this, and I don't think any American president has uh, actually apologized on these, uh, on, on the use of these uh, atomic bo- uh, weapons. On a on a nation, uh, first of all, that's that's the thing, and and basically, you know, you're saying nine out of one hundred ninety-five, and the 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 point I'm trying to say is, of course, you know, you know, being recognized for, uh, you know, for your efforts, uh, you know, being awarded a Nobel Peace Prize are all you know good things on the paper and stuff, but has it actually solved any of the real problems that we have at hand? Uh, because nobody's actually wanted to take the action first. Uh, I mean, as as you've just you know uh, eloquently mentioned that they they're saying you know that's probably not the right time, and that's because they have you know uh, conflicts currently going on. On we can't say on a smaller scale they are on a you know but but comparingly to a a, a nuclear world war it is you know on a on a smaller scale. So unless don't you think that unless they they do away with these smaller conflicts that we ha- that they have as compared to the uh, you know the nuclear, uh, uh, you know uh, nuclear war, some something like that, that they can't actually reach, uh, you know, uh, the disarmament that we're, we're actually talking about here. Well, I think that to say that uh, total peace on earth needs to <laughs> precede uh, nuclear disarmament would be uh, an even more unlikely path okay. towards actually achieving disarmament. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know that that it's it, it's what is the case is that. We have often regulated the rules of war without be, without eradicating war, and those rules have largely been abided by. And when they aren't, we have norms that uh, allow states to to, to react. Mm-hmm. So I think international law has provided important constraints mm-hmm. on on the way wars are fought, and I also think that these things don't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. Uh, as urgent as we think that this uh, imperative is to disarm, we know that it will, uh, with that building a treaty like ours mm-hmm. will, will take time. Mm-hmm. And so when, uh, you know, it, this, this, for 70 years we've been waiting for mm-hmm. these states to 
do something. Mm-hmm. And uh, our reaction is this very brand new treaty mm-hmm. that we see working already, even though these states that have nuclear weapons have opposed it, uh, that we, we can see how it's, how it's working to constrain their, their programs and, and uh, the future of their programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, ironically, perhaps, it's, it's the strong opposition of these countries to our treaty that helps us understand that we're on the right path. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, because we have seen already how, uh, for instance, just take divestment in programs, for example, mm-hmm. uh, this, this treaty and uh, the entry into force of our treaty, it only entered into force in 2021, so the brand new treaty. Mm-hmm. But because of the restrictions that are built into the treaty, which uh, I didn't really talk about uh, exactly what the treaty says, which I could do. Please do, but, please do, yeah. Uh, please explain for, uh, for the benefit of Yeah, basically, this is... This is the Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons is the first ever global treaty that categorically bans nuclear weapons, everything to do with nuclear weapons, development, testing, production, manufacture, stationing, mm-hmm. transfer, possession, stockpiling, use, of course, and threat of use of nuclear weapons, and assistance or encouragement with any of the above. And I'll come back to that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just to say also that the treaty is not only about preventing future harm, but also it aims to address past harms as well. It has the first ever uh, obligations uh, under anywhere in the world for, for um, in an international treaty to provide uh, vict- assistance to uh, victims and uh, remediation of environments that have been affected by the use and the testing of nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, when people talk about nuclear weapons usage in the world, they often talk about Hiroshima and Nagasaki as you have but they neglect to sometimes note that there have been nuclear weapons have been detonated 2000 over 2000 more times um, in nuclear testing mm-hmm. so and there's there's many people uh, that have suffered from and and lands that have been totally mm-hmm. eradicated uh, because of the testing of nuclear weapons so um, what i was going to say about uh, divestment is that the prohibitions on assisting others to do any of the prohibited activities is generally interpreted as prohibiting investing mm-hmm. in nuclear weapons programs. So now we have, so far, already 66 countries that have fully joined this treaty, uh, many coming soon, many more coming soon, additional 20 states have already signed the treaty as well. Mm-hmm. And so for those states parties, as we call them, it's illegal to invest in nuclear weapons manufacturing and production. And so, uh, and others, including even in the nuclear armed countries, look to international law, even if their country isn't bound in the like investment system to determine whether or not weapons are like controversial or should be part of their uh, ethical investment programs. Suffice it to say, we have seen billions of dollars already divested from Mm -hmm. the manufacturers of nuclear (coughs) weapons use and testing. And if you believe, as I do, that um, that that this this the perpetuation of nuclear weapons is not just about politics, security, military power, uh, you know, and international Mm -hmm. relations, but also about a, a global economy that's basically 
supported by weapons manufacturing, um, then then you you can see how this treaty is not only about making nuclear weapons illegal, but also mm. about making nuclear weapons irrelevant. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I just, just, just quickly wanted to ask you, of course, we've taken a lot of your time, is has the USO and the Russia signed this treaty yet? No country that has nuclear weapons have signed it yet. Uh, none of the nine have signed it or support it even, mm. and in fact, are have been vehemently opposed to the treaty in wow. their governments. Mm-hmm. And so, the entire impetus of this treaty system has been to make progress without them mm. uh, recognizing that they are not going to come uh, happily along mm. the way. Do you think? Do you think the pressure would 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 help from all these other other countries that have signed or? Do you think these countries, such as the U.S., you know, China, uh, you know, the uh, sorry, the Russia, uh, you know, that you know, the say that they have in the world, um, do you think that that it won't work, or do you think it would work? Well, we we definitely we know that it will work. I mean, we have seen it work with in connection with other treaties. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, not that that's not that everything's equivalent, but this was the same system mm-hmm. that was. Uh, for instance, with mine bans or with cluster munitions, mm-hmm. where the possessor states said, you know, oh, it's a nice idea, but, you know, for security reasons, we can't join it. And then other states, and this is the first time it happened, they, these, the people who brought about those prohibitions really paved the path for us. Mm-hmm. They went ahead and banned them anyway, and everyone sort of laughed at them. You know, mm-hmm. what, what can you do if the possessor states aren't? you know, continue to say it doesn't apply to them. Mm-hmm. And yet, and we saw through those processes how it actually had a massive normative effect mm-hmm. and a massive effect also on the, um, you know, the production, the capitalist streams for demand and, and how that dried up. And, yep. you know, in, in 2016, for example, the last U.S. manufacturer of cluster munitions shut down because they said there was no market anymore. Mm-hmm. And we see it here, too. I mean, I, ironically, the best answer about the impact of this treaty on nuclear arms states comes from them because mm-hmm. they've opposed it so hard, you know, and they've said, uh, well, and, and we have seen how um, how they, they they oppose it because they realize that this is going to delegitimize and stigmatize weapons that, in, at least in their countries, have become uh, sort of accepted as status quo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yes, we think that, as you say, there's going to be increased international pressure for elimination, but also domestic pressure. Uh, as I was just talking about, we've seen how there already is the impact of restricting and reducing financial investments in production and maintenance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also because this is the first time with this treaty that it's now framed as a humanitarian responsibility of all countries, mm-hmm. of all countries, because this is now, there's no, like in the existing treaty infrastructure, there's there's a tiered system uh, yeah. of like the haves and the haves nots. Makes sense. And this is the first treaty that says that all states have an equal responsibility and uh, opportunity mm-hmm. to uh, to 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 take on this um, to take on prohibition without mm-hmm. any kind of hierarchy, mm-hmm. and instead of making it like this exclusive strategic concern of just a small club of, of nuclear weapon possessors. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Uh, Seth, for joining us and giving us insight into this, uh, you know, treaty which is which is uh, of utmost importance.
uh, at the current scenario and the current you know time that we're we're going through and we hope the best for the future thank you so much for joining us take care bye bye thank you for your interest take care zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight is the number to call we're talking about world war three uh, especially nuclear weapons uh, and you know the, the amount of impact that they can have I mean Safir is 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 good to have you on um, as well um, I mean it's interesting to to note that the you know all, all of the countries that don't have uh, nuclear weapons they have they have signed this treaty and they don't have any sort of encouragement to you know go about uh, you know pursuing this path but those that ha- they already have it nine as as I said have have completely opposed it uh, well I think the uh, the strange thing obviously I think it's not that strange because yeah. the threat that we face from uh, from nuclear disaster or nuclear mm-hmm. you know uh, catastrophe um is basically from <laughs> the countries that have nuclear yeah, weapons yeah. and perhaps <coughs> the superpowers mm-hmm. like we're talking about you know Russia probably having the most nuclear arsenal in the whole world mm-hmm. and then the United States having you know uh, if not as much yeah um <coughs> and <coughs> both these countries you know people people are afraid of um, absolutely uh, so we, we we don't know and the thing is that unless the whole world comes together and and put putting their um, desires on one side as um, the worldwide head of the MD Muslim community has said because we don't want to a collective good he yes, spoke about yes yes right? exactly yeah. we, we don't want to single out one country and saying they have all yeah. the fault i mean that's why safira i was asking yeah. um, you know seth earlier that you know we we're, we're talking of 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 um, nuclear weapons because that's basically the pinnacle that those those that have it you know what is you can have as much more one is enough you yeah. don't need to have 100 yeah. right yeah. but my point was that these small conflicts as compared to what we're having if we don't work on them there would come a time when 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 you've used all of these you know smaller weapons and you know st- certain strategies and a certain country has come to a point now where he has not he can do nothing more but mm. to press that button yeah. do you no, think do you, you think example. do you think yeah. he would not do it of course of course i think that that's that's what it's going to um, mm-hmm. to to get to i mean look if you give uh, uh, if you think of a small example yeah, it's a yeah. tiny example look at guns for example hmm. Hmm. you get so many guns um for example in the U- US you know you, you, there's guns everywhere and the more guns you have mm-hmm. the more chances there yeah. are that somebody's going to get killed mm-hmm. or yeah. something's going to happen yeah. like oh, so the same with the nuclear weapons yep. the more nuclear weapons you have mm-hmm. the, the the more chan- as you mentioned like with the these wars as well especially what's going on in Ukraine as well yep. is a long war dragging on with the con- conventional weapons mm-hmm. so we hope and pray that it never comes to that point but if the nuclear weapons are there then there is a real danger that it can be used absolutely yeah. okay so we have uh, our next guest on the line we have Paul H Newton who is from anti nuclear league uh, british show introduction assalamu alaikum peace and blessings of god be upon you and welcome to the drive time show yeah i'm here hello hello thank you for join, joining us um, we're talking thank about you thank you so much we're talking about nuclear uh, weapons the world war 3 people have been speaking about it uh and the threat that it has uh for the entire mankind can you tell us about yourself and of course the anti nuclear league movement okay thank you uh well my name is Paul Newman I'm 32 I used to live in Ukraine and I escaped the war I have been uh, concerned about this topic for 10 15 years mm-hmm. but I have become an activist since this war because it has all renewed all these uh, threats mm-hmm. you know uh the tensions are really high right now and the danger that a nuclear escalation is going to happen and lead to a nuclear war is really high unfortunately and we need to 
past experience and survive. Mm-hmm. If you can survive this, maybe we have a chance at reducing these weapons and finally eradicating them. Uh, so that's what I'm working on. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to eliminate these weapons. You can see, uh, so, so my, my organization mm-hmm. is trying to work on this mm-hmm. and we work together with ICANN, mm-hmm. ICANW, uh, which is International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. Okay. Uh, just just to find yeah. out, for the benefit of our listeners, is this an, uh, a, a recent movement, uh, this Anti-Nuclear League movement? It or? It is a new okay. movement, right. When, when was it sta- established, just for, for the benefit uh, of our about listeners? About three months ago. Two months ago. Uh, two, three months ago. Okay. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a CPNW. But it's a grass, grass move, I'm sorry. It's a grassroots movement. Mm-hmm. So it's really important for people, uh, all of them, to take action. This mm-hmm. cannot be a single leader movement. Uh, it has to be a grassroots moment. Why? Because we need millions of people mm-hmm. which show their results that yep. they don't want to live in a world yep. with 15,000 nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. a lot of which are much more powerful than Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Those weapons were 15 and 20 kilotons. Mm-hmm. These ones are 50 megatons. They are thousands of times more powerful. Absolutely. And these can definitely destroy this planet and make it inhabitable, uninhabitable. Mm-hmm. Okay? Absolutely. Right. This is the thing that's an existential threat. Absolutely. Thank you for that. And so the use of nuclear weapons and other massive destructions are considered a violation of IHL. Nevertheless, many countries are are still developing various weapons that harm human survival and the environment, you know, such as nuclear weapons. While, as we know, based on the regulation of IHL, some weapons are simply prohibited. Not only is their use strictly prohibited, but so in their production, transfer and stockpiling, what is your opinion regarding this situation and what measures should be taken to stop this? Well, let's, uh, you know, we have to uh, talk about the elephant in the room. Now, the elephant in the room is that we have global problems, Hmm. international global problems. uh, And we cannot solve these problems nation by nation or country by country. We have to have an international organization that actually functions. Now, United Nations has a very small budget as Jeffrey Sachs would also say, it says only $3 billion. Now, uh, United Nations uh, does not function, first and foremost, because the security members, right, the permanent security members, the five nuclear countries, can veto anything. It's not egalitarian, and the structure of the United Nations is not uh, properly designed, okay? So we have either a reform, you know, a very important reform in the UN, or we have to have another organization that will actually do something about conflict and global problems. This is the most important problem, okay, that we have to address. Now, uh, and, and we have to show our resolve. That's, one, that, that's something that we all have to do. A lot of people don't want nuclear weapons. 74% of Americans don't want nuclear weapons. I'm sure that number is as high in the UK and in Russia even, right, and in other countries. So we have to show, we have to come together and show that we don't want to live in a worldwide. That's what we can do. We have to come together. Absolutely um, spot on there, Paul. We absolutely endorse the message that you have, and we, you know, we wish you all the support and uh, you know, best of luck with the work that you're doing. And we hope that you know the the mankind comes out of this catastrophe. That all of us, you know, basically, whether it's mentally, you know, we we having to read about these casualties and you know these children, you know, having to lose their parents, their homes. You know, it, it, it impacts all of us. So we, we we can only hope and pray that you know the leaders, the those in authority, can pay heed and truly think about 
uh, mankind at large, uh, rather than the vested interests. So thank you so much for joining us today. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. So, I mean, we're coming to the end of the program. We've only mm-hmm. got about nine minutes to go. I think one of the most important things that we need to speak about is Quranic prophecies about, you know, nu- nu- nuclear war. Um, you know, we know um, that Allah the Almighty, you know, speaks about it in chapter 104, verse 2 to 10. It says, Woe to every backbiter, slanderer, who amasses wealth and counts it over and over. He imagines that his wealth et- will make him immortal. Think about it. Let's, let's ponder over these words. You know, I was sitting here in this studio um, you know, 1400 years ago, these words are, are, you know, were said by Allah, Allah the Almighty. Nay, he, sh- he shall surely be cast into the hutama. And what should make thee know what the hutama is? Allah's fire as preserved fuel, which will leap suddenly onto the hearts. It is locked up in the outstretched pillars to be used against them. So these people, Allah Almighty is saying, that have amassed as well, think that they're immortal. They're building these uh, underground tunnels, underground you know, places. They think that they'll, they'll be saved. Yeah. Right, mm. but but the reality is, and 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 history tells us that 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 was never true, you know. And, and the thing very interesting about these verses are that uh, it talks about people who amasses wealth. Yeah, and these are basically the mm. superpowers of today. Yeah, which uh, because of their increasing greed, they are not only exploiting other countries, but they're also developing these weapons. Mm to have uh, for themselves obviously because because of their interest and because of their continuous um, you know lust for more wealth mm-hmm. yeah. so it, it shows us that these th- this is in such a you know detailed description the Quran has put and then of course when we go on next uh, the, the word hutama uh, in Arabic is um, uh, explains or just described something being broken down in very very small pieces mm-hmm. and that is exactly the definition of Atom, yeah. you know, absolutely. so it's it's and amazing that these verses were revealed 1400 years ago, right? Absolutely, and you know, again in Surah Dukhan, uh, briefly because we've only got six minutes or so to go, the Quran describes a lethal cloud which comprises a deadly radiant smoke. Then, wrath, uh, then watch for the day when the sky will bring forth a manifest smoke that will cast a shadow upon people. This will be a painful suffering. Now, we know from you know from 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 the history of the Amdi Muslim community, we know the promised Messiah peace be upon him. You know, prophesied about the First World War. People can go and read up on that. You know, sim- a simple search on al islam dot org mm-hmm. would 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 give give you onto that. His Holiness, the third uh, Caliph of the Amdi Muslim community. So you know, even speaking about the World War. Hmm. And, 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 and the reminders that have been coming from the current caliph for more than a decade, mm. right? He's been speaking about it over and over again. Even the third caliph of the MDMC community, you know, he uh, is his lecture, which was a, pe- uh, a message of peace and a word of warning, right? Mm. Uh, and I, I want to read out from this. He, he, he mentions World War One, World War you know, Two, and the prophecy of the Prophet And then he goes on to say, the Prophet Messiah also prophesied that a third world war of even bigger dimensions would follow the second. The two opposing camps will clash with such suddenness that everyone will be caught unawares. Death and destruction will rain from the sky and fierce flames shall engulf the earth. The colossus of modern civilization will tumble to the ground, but both the communist and the opposing bloc will perish in the process, Russia and its satellites. He's specifically mentioning Russia and its satellites on the other. On one hand, and the US and its allies on the other shall be destroyed, their might broken, their civilizations ruined, and their systems shattered. The survivors shall stand aghast and amazed at the tragedy. Russia will recover sooner from the calamity than the West. This is also, you know, this uh, such power. I'm getting goosebumps sitting here, you know, uh, listening to these words. And we think, we think, you know, in, in all of what we have achieved, 
um, you know, as human beings and mankind, we kind of think, we still think it's, it's, it's too much of a bleak picture that we're painting, you know, these, these you know, th- there's, there's a lot of scientists out there, mm-hmm. there's a lot of papers being written, they know about the destruction of, you know, that, that it would create. They're not that stupid to, you know, press that button. Yeah. But, but well, think about it. The situation that we're in now, let's go a decade, you know, a, a decade before. We, nobody was speaking about a war in Europe. Mm-hmm. Even when, you know, this, his, uh, his Holiness, the Caliph, was, was warning people, People were taking very lightly, saying that you know it's it's, it's not you know something that yeah, serious. Yeah, it's not that dying. Yeah. Yes, you know. It's, it's astonishing. Oh, he said, "Why are we scaring people?" You know, mm. but I mean, but now we see the situation is is on it's the brink. unfolding. Yeah. Yes, I mean, His Holiness also said, "You may consider this as a this is a fantasy." Yeah, but those who survived the Third World War will witness and bear out the truth of what I have said. Yeah, these are the words of God Almighty. They shall be fulfilled. No one can avert yeah. His decree. I mean, we. It's very, very difficult to yeah. think about it and talk about it because, you know, there's a real possibility that, you know, we might see uh, mm-hmm. that and uh, nobody wants to see that. Uh, it's it's going to be very, very hard. Um, so we can only pray and, and, and uh, try to, you know... Um, Self-reform, I think that's yeah, one of the things that we need to... Yep. We need to point yeah. out, and his, his holiness has been, and also spread the message. Like of course, of course, his holiness has been speaking about this, and 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 one of the first points of you know the World War Three stop World War Three campaign is recognizing the Creator. Mm. Yeah. None of our ideas, none of our you know plans, or the UN has worked so far, right? Yeah. From the last uh, 50, 60 so so years, nothing has basically worked, right? Every time something comes up, it gets vetoed by you know those those wealthier and and, and those who have more power than the other Definitely. so so there has there, there is a solution it has been mentioned by people there there had always been a solution when the prophets of god were warning these people but they weren't listening they didn't pay heed but yeah. the quran you know s- you know mentions these examples of various n- nations nations of noah you know nations of saleh all of these people yeah. mm. and what happened to them and this exactly. is not just a mere historical account but rather it should serve and as a people warning. should understand that also that uh, as you mentioned that these things have happened in the past it points out that somebody has come to warn absolutely and the promised yeah. messiah the founder of the amdiya muslim community literally came to warn people that if you don't you know reform yourself then the, this judgment day is very close yeah, and you know they say history repeats itself yeah. right and um mm-hmm. no i just think that the teaching of islam like people can be like oh why, why does this matter in this context mm. but it teaches you to think beyond yourself yeah. it's this selfishness it's this greed amongst all the countries that is actually causing this mm-hmm. if we are more selfless if we are more <coughs> mindful of, of our creator mm-hmm. we will all have a different attitude to life absolutely, absolutely spot on um, I mean, we've come to the end of the program. We have uh, you know, discussed two very important topics, two very serious topics, you know, uh, of course, um, for those of uh, you who are listening and, of course, for us here sitting in the studio and discussing about them. In the first hour, we talked about uh, climate action and how time is running out. Um, and in the second hour, we've been discussing the nuclear apocalypse, the nuclear weapons, World War Three, and all of what it, uh, you know, in, in, in includes. So lastly, uh, from us, uh, we would like to say that, you know, uh, make the change that we want to see in the world first within yourself and then, yeah. you know, uh, pass that on w- within your families. From then it goes to, you know, from your tribe or from 
from the locality of yours to region, regional spaces and from there to national and then international. So may the Almighty, you know, grant us all uh, the ability to do that. But before I forget, I must, I must thank um, our producers uh, who have uh, done a wonderful show, uh, job with these, uh, you know, uh, with, with their research and everything. So first for the climate action, I'd like to thank Zain Karim, who have, uh, you know, produced a wonderful show as well as, you know, getting wonderful guests for us, of course, with the expert advice. And in the, of course, for the second hour uh, for the nuclear apocalypse, we want to thank Nuru Saba and all others, you know, who've been part of our tech team and have made this possible for us mm -hmm. today. With this, Assalamu Alaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuhu.